1: Welcome to Black & Lit, powered by Full Service Radio. We're your hosts, Jasmine and Priscilla. And we're broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. Black & Lit is a multimedia brand celebrating dope Black people doing the things they love without boundaries. Each week, we're bringing you inspiring stories of tastemakers, artists, and entrepreneurs of color who are taking risks to create the life they want. So we're back with our first episode of Black History Month. And of course, Valentine's Day is two days away, so a lot of us are thinking about love and relationships, but what you probably don't know is that February is also Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. Our guest today is Tanaj Moody. She survived an abusive relationship at the age of 16, which led her to start Light to Life, which is a domestic violence awareness program offering workshops and events to young adults and teens on the prevention of abusive and unhealthy relationships. We're so excited to have you here today. Welcome.
2: Oh my gosh. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah,
1: I remember meeting you um, when you came
0: out to one of our Black and Lit events. Maybe, I think it probably was our artist talk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At the Village. At the Village with Nick. Mm -hmm. Um, I really enjoyed meeting you and your boyfriend then. And I've been following your work a little bit on Instagram. You often, your videos often pop up in my feed and all of that. I'm really inspired by all the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. But in what point in your recovery process, when you were going from a, I hate to use the word victim, because that's not the word that you use anymore. You call Mm -hmm. yourself a victor. Mm -hmm. At what point did you decide it was time to start Light to Life in order to empower teens and young adults to take control of their relationships and empower them to sort of tell their
2: stories in meaningful ways that then could empower somebody else to do the same.
3: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: I think it's really important for you guys to both know the story behind Light to Life. Mm Yes, tell Um, us. Because that just, Light to Life is me. It's an extension of my story and who I am. Um, And so I want to be very candid and open with you and your audience to really shed light on this issue and the fact of how silent the epidemic is and how universal it is as Mm -hmm. well. Um, I was 16 years old, and I was on my way back um, from therapy. And my boyfriend at the time, who picked me up um, from my therapy session, um, picked me up and asked me, you know, how did your therapy session go? And I had mm-hmm. said to him, it went really well. Like, I feel so much better about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just I feel like I'm in, in good energy. And I turned to him and I saw just anger on his face. And he's in the, pa- in the driver's seat. And I've, I felt like something, something bad was about to happen. Mm. How long had you guys been together at this point? So at this point, it's been three years. Okay. And he had turned to me, and he had balled his fist up, and he reached over, and mind you, this man at the time was 6'2", I'm 5'2". And was he older? And he was two years older than me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And he balls his fist up, and he reaches on the passenger side and repeatedly starts punching me in my face. Oh my god. What?
0: Yeah, Was he jealous of your sort of healing process and the fact that you had found this sort of freedom to address your mental health needs? Like, why do you think he responded in that sort of way?
2: So domestic violence is really about power and control, Mm -hmm. right? And then when the abuser feels as though they are losing control over the victim or they're losing power in the relationship then they try whatever they can do to maintain that power again. And that's where the abuse happened, right? And so from that situation, that's why he acted out in that way because as though I was speaking out Mm -hmm. about how I was feeling. I was expressing Mm -hmm. my feelings. I was expressing my emotions to someone else and it wasn't him. And had he abused you before physically or mentally before that incident? Yeah. And so kind of... Um, in retrospect right so after that happened um, he had pulled over into a McDonald's parking lot and said to me automatically like in apologetic mode I'm so sorry this will never happen again I'll never hit you again I promise you I'll go get help I'll do whatever, whatever you need I'm so sorry mm. this is something that happened consistently for three years wow and that physical abuse did not just start physical, right? When we first started dating, everything was a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. He, I, was, I was young. He was young. He was on the basketball team. He was very popular. He was attractive. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was kind of like the honeymoon stage when you first meet someone. You have these butterflies, and you're just excited to just be with them at mm-hmm. every moment. And then that slowly started to turn into, those pants are too tight. I don't want you wearing those pants to school. Mm, Control. Control, right? To then digital abuse, where that started to look like, this is a boy texting your phone that I don't like you texting. I don't want you texting him. Matter of fact, I don't want you texting boys, period. Wow. What? And so me at that age, not realizing that these are warning signs that Mm -hmm. I should be aware of and that these are warning signs of an indication that I'm leaning towards an unhealthy relationship that could potentially lead towards an abusive relationship. I didn't see these warning signs Mm -hmm. because I was raised in North Philly. And when I was growing up, I was um, witnessing a lot of abuse in my neighborhood Um, a lot of violence um, Mm -hmm. in my home with uh, my mom and and her partners Mm -hmm. and so this was something that I normalized right Um, they did a study um, ACES study which is adverse childhood experiences um, study and a lot of the children that they did this study on had experienced or not directly experienced, but either witnessed it, some type of violence in their home Mm -hmm. or in their neighborhood. And they were also more likely to grow up to either be an abuser or they Mm -hmm. were more likely to grow up to be a victim. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and so it just shows you, like, I didn't see these things, right? And I wasn't aware because these were things that I normalized because of my upbringing. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And so at the first sign of physical violence, did you leave him? No. And so another thing that's important to know is a lot of victims, um, when they're in these relationships, I always get this question and people say, like, why don't you just leave? Mm-hmm. And it's so much more complicated than people think. And it's a lot harder than people think because mm-hmm. um, it's a lot easier said than done. There's a lot of reasons why people stay. Um, and I guess the highlight specifically for black women, right? And why black women stay in relationships. There's a lot of child custody issues. There's financial aid issues. Right. There's fear of retaliation. There's deep-rooted injustices of the police system and our criminal justice system for why people don't have trust to, to right. seek out help. Right? A lot of
1: times black women go to the police and complain and
2: they aren't believed. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. And, and another big part is love. Right. A lot of people, white people think about is that people don't think about is people stay because they still love this person. Right. Um, and at that time in in my relationship, I had was still in love mm-hmm. um, and because I was trapped in this cycle. So there's a cycle of violence that happens that people aren't aware of as well, which is another contributing factor for why people stay. Mm-hmm. The cycle of violence includes the honeymoon stage, which is the stage where everything is unicorns and butterflies and rainbows. Right. It's just what everybody dreams of. Right. It's like the it's like your fairy tale. It's like Mm -hmm. the like the notebook type of relationship. You know what I mean? And then from there you have um, where they call like a calm phase where there is no type of kind of abuse happening or um, meaning like no psychological abuse, no verbal abuse. There's just it's just a calm. Nothing's Mm -hmm. happening. Everything's regular. Right. It's stable. Exactly. Mm Um, and then you have um, that then leading to the abusive incident, right? Mm-hmm. And then that abusive incident happens, which is I gave you guys that example of me being in the car and then him repeatedly punching me in the face. Mm-hmm. Then that leads to the apologetic phase, mm. right? That I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again. And because of this, women and men are can be trapped in this cycle right. and not even realize that they're in a cycle, right? Yeah. So
0: at 16, did you think that you could sort of change his mind or alter his behavior in any sort of way? What sort of prompted you to eventually say enough is enough. Yeah. I need to get out of this. Yeah. And how did you go about getting out of this? Yeah. What was that moment? Yeah. So
2: it wasn't by choice. Mm. Um, It wasn't by choice at all. It was this has to happen or I'm going to die.
1: Was that just like an instinctual feeling or did somebody tell you that? Did you confide in anybody?
2: This was a decision um, that was made by... um, So let's go into... The last fight that it broke out into was him witnessing or seeing a boy texting my phone... And then that leading into us physically fighting each other. Me wow. trying to defend myself mm. to get him off of me. Wow. Right. Um, and then in the midst of this fight, we lived in the same complexes. So he lived in the apartment building in front of me. And in the midst of that, I had ran out um, to leave and to like get away from him. And then from that, that led to me with so much anger running out and just so much just built inside of me of not dealing with how I was feeling, not mm-hmm. dealing with my emotions. And my reaction to that was, I want to hurt him in some way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I know I can't physically hurt him, but I want to do something. I feel like I want to I do something. To take your power to back. To take my power back, right? Because right? I felt like I had nothing anymore. Mm-hmm. And my, my response was to key his car, and then when he saw me do that, when I ran outside, he had tackled me. What? And then from that, we were on the floor fighting each other. Mm. Our parents heard all the commotion outside. Both of our parents came out, and so this was out in the open. So there was no longer me being silent about their sisters no more. Because you hid the abuse from your family? I hid it from my mom for as long as I could.
3: Mm.
2: As long as I could. With makeup, excuses, not mm-hmm. coming home some nights. As long as I could.
0: Did you fear your family's safety? Like, what made you sort of hide this from your mom for such a long time?
2: I felt as though... I felt really embarrassed. Mm. Um, And I also felt as though, like, no one's going to understand what I'm going through. Mm. And, like, people's response is going to say, like, you should just leave him. And I know at the time I wasn't ready to leave, but I really just wanted support, and I really just wanted someone to listen to me. I just wanted someone to hear me, to notice me, um, and, I, and I was afraid that I wasn't going to get that response. I was afraid the response that I was going to get was going to be very negative. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so back to the fight was after we were fighting, the ambulance came, the police came, and I ended up getting arrested. Um, and he ended up actually pressing charges against me. They didn't arrest him? No. What? So, because what happened is he had said that he wanted to press charges against me for damaging his car, so I was arrested for vandalism. Got it. And at the time, although we were both fighting, I didn't say that he he was abusing me. I didn't speak out and say that he hit me first, or I, I didn't speak out at all. Basically, the cops came, and they, what they saw was us just fighting each other. Mm-hmm. And then they asked, basically, if, like, you want him to be, like, detained. And I, and I responded and said, no. Like, I, I didn't. I was scared. Did you still feel like you were protecting him in I that did. In I did. Life? In a weird way, yeah, I did. I felt like I didn't want to get him in trouble. And why do you
1: think mm. that victims of domestic violence feel this need to protect their abuser? Cuz that's not uncommon.
2: Yeah, I think part partly part of the reason is back to what I was saying is this this fear, right? Because if if you do speak out about this abuser, there's, it's very, it can be very dangerous for some women
3: mm-hmm. where
2: the abuser can then retaliate and then that can lead to causing a woman's death. Mm. And I think one thing's important to note here is that domestic violence, specifically um, for black women, ages 15 to 35, um, is the leading cause of death for black women. Wow. Wow. And dating violence for black women between the ages of 20 and 24, or it might be 25, Mm -hmm. um, have experienced dating violence, right? Mm -hmm. And so this isn't something that, like, doesn't happen to people all the time. And I want to, like, note that as, like, this is something that happens all the time. And people just aren't talking about and it. And people aren't, just aren't talking it. about it. And so the reason being as to, like, why women may not speak out, because this happens to a lot of women, mm-hmm. right? But the one is the fear of the retaliation. Mm-hmm. Um, other women may be trying to protect their children, right? Right. Um, another factor is that I was mentioning was the love aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for me, with my situation, it was more so of the love. Um, I, I didn't want to hurt him. I didn't want to get him in trouble because I still loved him. Right. Um, and I was blinded the fact that this wasn't love. Mm-hmm. This, there's no respect. There's no boundaries. He's physically abusing me. He doesn't care about me. Right. And, and you're and, so
1: young at that point, and so when you've young. seen that in other quote-unquote, loving relationships
2: in your family. It's hard to know, like, mm. what is love and what isn't. Right, mm-hmm. like, what... And and I think that's one of the things that's so important um, to what we were talking about, was what, what Priscilla, Priscilla was talking about before, about, like, how Light to Life came about, right? Yeah, tell
1: us about that, how you got from on the ground fighting in a parking lot right. to speaking your truth and starting Light to Light. Yeah, and like empowering other
0: young adults and yeah. teenagers to then do the same. That's-
2: it's, it's definitely been a journey. Um, and for me and for how that journey started was the healing process. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely didn't just jump from, like, me being arrested and then realizing like, I need to leave this person to like starting light to life. Right. A lot of that in between was healing. And I think, um, what's important for people to know and how do you leave these abusive relationships is one, like you have to cut the person off. Mm. You have to cut them off completely, whether it's through social media or if it's blocking them or not texting them, whatever it is, they have to be completely cut, cut off. And the thing that's really difficult is about this is because in between that phase of trying to transition to leave those relationships, mm-hmm. it can be super depressing and saddening because that person's going through a loss, right? Just like any breakup, gr- it's grieving loneliness, yes. right? It's tough. It's tough. And, and you're going through that by yourself. Yeah. And so this is not, it's not an easy thing for people to do, especially when you're transitioning. And I think another important thing is having support networks in place,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? Like, Part of when you're in those relationships, one of the warning signs is the isolation from your friends and family. Right. Right? And so when you don't have your friends and family and you're transitioning out of those relationships, you don't have a support network. Luckily for me, I still had my mom around. And, mm-hmm. and I think she was one of the biggest factors into my healing process. One of the the, the woman who was there for me on the nights where I was crying, mm-hmm. on, on the nights for me when I just didn't want to be here on earth anymore.
1: You were suicidal during that time? I
2: had, yeah. So a lot of, another thing to know is, um, when victims go through, um, domestic violence, some of the things that people can experience is post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, and so part of that is for me, at least, um, you go through social, social isolation, Mm -hmm. you have flashbacks, um, nightmares, um very intrusive memories
3: mm-hmm.
2: of the abuse um that can then lead to suicidal ideation mm-hmm. that could then lead to um other disorders like for me I went through an eating disorder um and then I was also um suicidal at the time.
1: Okay. How did um, you overcome wow.
2: that? The support. The support group. The support. My 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 mother was the biggest support. Um, and then Not only the support, what it was being kind to myself and being patient with myself. Mm. I think those are the biggest things. And when I I say like being kind, it it sounds like so like, oh, like speak kindly to yourself. But I sincerely mean like if I were to make a mistake in life, like just say in like a specific situation, like maybe if I didn't do well on a test during that time period Mm -hmm. and if I would have got like an F or something like that, right? For me, if I would have spoke to myself in a way where it was like, oh, you're such a failure, Mm -hmm. people don't even realize psychologically how deeply rooted that is into someone's self-esteem. Absolutely. So for me, it was about changing my patterns and my thoughts and my perception of how I looked at myself to build up my self-esteem.
0: Right. Were you in therapy or any sort of programs that sort of helped
2: you through that healing process?
0: Did your mother sort of identify some of those programs for you if you were?
2: Yeah, and so during that time period where my mom was a really big support for me, I was also on my way to go to college, mm-hmm. and I went into school. I went to Wesley College for my undergraduate, mm-hmm. um, and there I was studying psychology and majoring um, also in criminal justice, mm-hmm. which is the situation that I was in influenced me to major in in these different studies because I really wanted to learn more about human behavior and I really wanted to learn more about the criminal justice system because I was actually involved in it. So I wanted to learn more about this. And because of this, I went in my freshman year and I was going through... PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and not even realizing that I was going through it. There was nights where I wasn't eating. I couldn't concentrate in school. Mm. I didn't want to be around people at one point. But, like, no one could really see this, but I knew I was going through something, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I was having, like, flashbacks and nightmares. And there was a point where I was just like, I need to talk to someone about this. Right? This is becoming a very detrimental to my life and my well-being and school period this Mm -hmm. isn't good for me um and so I started seeking counseling at Wesley College um shout out to Ann Rogie, um who was the counselor at the time who really helped me a lot and then through there and through counseling I think what was so beneficial for me was for the first time in my life, I was actually speaking my truth about the situation. Wow. And I was feeling as though I wasn't being judged. Mm. I I could just speak openly. Um, and I was more so given, like, guidance and support on just, like, what do you want to do next, right? Like, this. just because this happened to you doesn't mean that this is going to completely define your story and who you are as a person. And, you know, that's when... I was realizing in my life that I know I'm not the only one who has experienced this. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's what your counselor mm-hmm. told you? Yeah, and and that's where I was becoming more educated about domestic violence mm-hmm. and the prevalence of it and realizing that 1.3 million women suffer, American right. women suffer from domestic violence every year. Right. And 43% of college students have sorry, <laughs> 43% of college students, this is why we need those, like, headphones we were talking about, <laughs> listen, yeah. cultural, so, but this is um, 43% of college women have experienced domestic violence. Yes. Right? And over half of college students have known someone who have experienced it. Mm-hmm. And so, through counseling I was able to get more educated and more knowledge about this area and, and, and in this field, which then led to me Speaking with, um, and Rogi about, you know, this idea of wanting to have a domestic violence prevention organization mm. on Wesley college campus. And did she help you launch it? Yeah. So she actually was our advisor. Okay. Um, she was the advisor of the program. And from there we were facilitating so workshops on campus. It was
0: more than just you starting
3: this. Yeah. So You're saying I, me. I was like, yeah, we, a part yes of this?
2: <laughs> Um, I was really blessed to have people around me, um, and one person who actually is my best friend to this day, Jordan, um, who served as the vice president um, and continued Light to Life's mission as I when, once I graduated. But I was lucky to have a whole entire team: a vice president, a mm-hmm. treasurer, a financial um, financial chair, um, a marketing strategy. Um, intern like I was able to have all of these people part of my team to really shift the culture on Wesley's campus mm-hmm. and raise awareness about domestic violence in a way that is attractive right wow. and so like we were the first domestic violence organization at Wesley at Wesley College amazing and from there we expanded to like Delaware State University And then started facilitating workshops on their campus about prevention around domestic violence. And Mm -hmm. the workshops really looked like, we would talk about um, things that were trending, things Mm -hmm. that were attractive. So at the time, the Chris Brown and Rihanna situation, right? Yeah. And so with that, we would highlight those situations and we would bring it into a conversation, but then talk about specific things for how people can identify what are some warning signs so that we can prevent this happening from someone to someone else.
1: Right. And so how did you get people to attend? Because a lot of times if people are going through this, they are not open about Mm -hmm. it. How Mm -hmm. did you reach out to people or get people to actually
2: attend these meetings? It was the approach. Mm. Um, It wasn't more so like... Come to this domestic violence workshop because mm-hmm. <laughs> we were going to be like definitely. No, thank you. Yeah, they're <laughs> like, like I'm not going through that. Right. I like need to I'm go not that. going through exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like this is too heavy. Like yeah. I, I'm not ready to talk about this. Right. Yeah. Um. And so, like I was saying, is like it was the approach of those conversations where if we were to bring things in that were trending and we were to, and then we were able to catch an audience by. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like headlines mm-hmm. in, in articles, right. right? People only read the headlines, and then as soon as you read the headlines, you start reading into the article, maybe. Right. Yeah, You got to hook people. You got to hook mm-hmm. people. And so our way of hooking people was finding things that were trending for college students. Finding things and topics that college students would be more interested in. So, like, the example was... Um, either it was... One of the workshops we did was uh, Chris Brown and Rihanna. So how do you identify the warning signs? And that was a big topic during that time period. Maybe it was like 2013, 2012. Right. Because that incident... Brought domestic violence to, to light. light for yeah. our
1: generation. Yeah. Like, it really did. If this can happen to Rihanna, this can happen to, any to anybody. Us. One, right. And then there
0: was the Me Too movement more mm-hmm. recently and surviving mm-hmm. R. Kelly even exactly. more recently, yes. mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we're just like, what? And we're just seeing masses of, of women, black women, mm-hmm. telling yeah. these stories. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. do you think, did that, these sort of issues being pushed to the forefront in the media, how has that sort of influenced? your work, or, or helped it yeah. to sort of even be a bigger voice, if you will.
2: Yeah, I think the fact that these issues are being amplified in mm-hmm. a way um, that they haven't before mm-hmm. um, is groundbreaking. And I really think it's it's not a trend, it's, it's a movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a continuing movement because the, wo- the more women that are are feeling safe To speak out, um, and the more women that do speak out, that only encourages others. Mm. Um, And so, with the Me Too movement, um, and then you know, surviving R. Kelly, the Chris Brown and Rihanna, Mm -hmm. uh, Ray Rice—I mean, the Mm -hmm. NFL, right? That's big. All of these situations coming to light uh, with domestic violence. I think the one thing that has been so influential for me. Is realizing that the population that I want to work with, the population that is not provided with enough assistance and guidance as they should be, are women who are incarcerated.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so it's really led me to doing work within the criminal justice system to now I'm um, you know working within juvenile facilities, and I just started a partnership with um, Northern Virginia Juvenile Detention Home. Amazing. And there, thank you, and there I'm working with um, their young girls and the young men there, and I'm facilitating workshops on, you know, one, what is the difference, what's that, what, the, what is the relationship spectrum? Mm. What's the difference between a healthy relationship? What's the difference between an unhealthy relationship and a, and a healthy relationship and an abusive relationship? people don't even know that that there there are significant differences between those three and when I say the relationship spectrum people are like what is that like what does that mean right because if you've never seen it you have nothing to compare it to exactly and in addition to that you know some of the some of the things that are also very effective working within the juvenile system or working in the criminal justice system and working with young people period in order to prevent these things is also to talk about social emotional workshops so a a lot of my workshops focus on self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things is conflict resolution skills, emotional intelligence, um, and self-care. What does self-care look like? Um, and What is self-trust? What does that look like? Right. Um, and then in addition to that, of um, uh, the socio-emotional approach, it also has a psychoeducational approach. And the psychoeducational approach of Light to Life is not only are we... Creating awareness for young people to have um, about themselves, but we're also changing their patterns of behaviors. Mm. Because once you're able to change your perceptions and the way you think, then that starts to align with your behaviors and the way Absolutely. you respond to situations. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and, and it's really important to highlight is that the reason that this population is, is at risk is because 86% of women who are incarcerated are also victims of domestic violence. 86%. 86%. is an
1: what? insane number.
2: And there's, there isn't enough rehabilitation wow. and, and there isn't enough programs around prevention on domestic violence. I don't know if you've, you know, you've seen recently with Centoya Brown, right. um, mm-hmm. the young girl, uh, Crystal Kaiser, um, who have been in the media on um, being victims of human trafficking, mm. but then being criminalized for the victimization. Yeah. Right. Right. For fighting back. For fighting back or for trying to leave. Mm. And, and you know, part of this is just like, what are we doing inside of our system so that when these women are released or so that w- when these women are released or so that when they are incarcerated, we put something in place to reduce their recidivism.
3: Mm-hmm. What are we
2: doing in that? But also what are we doing in the prevention before that?
1: Well, I think a lot of it is is the system itself in this country and how black women and black girls are perceived. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there have been mm-hmm. studies done that, you know, black girls are, are perceived to be less innocent or mm-hmm. um, more knowledgeable about sex or more promiscuous, mm-hmm. which could not be farther from the truth but that's a perception that's a sign mm-hmm. to black women mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so it automatically puts us at a disservice yeah completely yeah completely agree um so tell us how so you work with colleges
2: how many colleges are you in right now so i've collaborated um with temple university howard Ooh, university go out hey, <laughs> we'll priscilla out. school <laughs> <laughs> So Temple University, Howard University, University of Pennsylvania. um, uh, I'm trying to think of the other ones. Um, Also, high schools as well. So not just college students, but also um, high Mm -hmm. schools. So Parkway High School in Philadelphia. I'm not too sure if you guys are Mm -hmm. familiar. Um, And, uh, you know, that then has expanded into, like, communities. Mm. Um, And so... Collaborating with different small businesses or other nonprofit organizations um, to really raise awareness on this issue and so not only am I facilitating these workshops on college campuses but i 'm also in the community that 's great and so um, I, in Philadelphia, I had um, was um, working on a women 's empowerment conference with North Central Victim Services. Um I was also working with another nonprofit organization called Choose Montgomery mm-hmm. and I was a keynote speaker there and they hold this annual event every year for teens to raise awareness mm-hmm. on domestic violence. Um and then I also part. I've partnered with the Village Cafe mm-hmm. um, in DC. Yeah. I love those guys. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> we had one of their owners, Muhammad, on yeah. our show. Yep. I saw. A few yeah, weeks ago. I know. I saw that. <laughs> We're huge fans. They they really do have the Village concept. And Absolutely it's super dope. And so we've been able to. Um, partner together and host different events around black men specifically Mm. um, and raising awareness on sexual assault for black men and and prevention around that. I've um, also partnered with another nonprofit called Men Can Stop Rape in D.C. um, where we've had panel discussions on healthy masculinity for men. Yeah Mm. that's
1: that's so important because I, I mean we talk a lot about women and speaking out and you know, oh, the we signs, need the men. we need them as but allies. But like, how do we stop our boys and our men from growing up to be abusers? Mm-hmm. Toxic masculinity,
0: it's to- misogynist. Yeah. Like, talk for hours that. about that. Yes. Like,
2: yeah. Yeah. That's real. And, and, and part of it is we need men involved in the conversation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I'm, you, you know, what's interesting is like, I don't know if uh, people speak about this, and this also may be something that can be controversial, but I look at myself as a womanist and not a feminist, Mm. because the difference between a womanist and a feminist, and a lot of people don't know this, but womanists really do try to involve men as allies, Mm. right? Whereas the feminist approach, there is no encouragement to involve men. And my approach is, I can't do this work without having men involved, Absolutely. Um, although like I want to, I do want to, I don't want to discount the fact that, you know, men can also be victims of domestic violence without a doubt. Yes. Um, it's just that 85% of women are victims of domestic violence. And so women are impacted with higher, just higher rates more in general. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think it's important to have men as part of this conversation and it always starts with the education mm-hmm. yeah. and it always starts with having men in the room to be able to have these tough conversations to dismantle, right, what the toxic, toxic masculinity has been deeply rooted into society. Right. Or what it even means to be a man. A man, mm-hmm. to redefine what that right. means. Exactly. Right. exactly, exactly. Yeah. So
1: for people who are maybe not in college or not, you know, incarcerated, how can they get involved in your organization? People that are listening that might say, you know, I, I might be in an abusive relationship. I'm not sure. Like, mm-hmm. how can they get involved?
2: So the first thing is, um, you know, if you are interested in, in, if you're not on a college campus, but maybe you're just in the community and you're at a small business or, um, Anything else where you're just like, I kind of want to have Tanaj come as a speaker, mm-hmm. definitely can reach me um, at my website, which is lighttolife.org, mm-hmm. um, or my social media platforms on Instagram um, and on Facebook. And it's at One Mission, One Voice, mm-hmm. or email. One mission, one voice at gmail.com. If you're interested in having me come to come speak about this, to raise awareness about these issues, to um, educate on what are some warning signs and how do you develop healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, And another thing to note is Friday for Valentine's Day, um, very informal. Light to Life will be um, partnering with the village again. Nice. And we are doing a Black Love campaign. Um, and so, we're going to be hosting like mini game shows on um, interviewing some couples on how they were able to develop a healthy relationship Ooh. to really highlight healthy relationships within the black and that. That's awesome. What time yeah. is that going to be? So, we're going to be there at seven. Okay. Um, seven to nine. Amazing.
1: So nice. And we don't have very much time. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of healthy relationships, I mean, you are in. A healthy yeah. long-term yes. relationship. A relationship, <laughs> y'all are so like, cute. Oh Thank my gosh,
0: you. she's this black love <laughs> couple.
1: How <laughs> did you regain that trust? How did you? How did you regain that trust to
2: find love again? Mm-hmm. So for me, um, the steps that I took for myself was building my self-esteem up. So remember I was mm-hmm. talking about like being able to speak kindly to myself again Yes. Um, and being aware of how I'm speaking to myself, having um, that support system in place. Um, and another thing is educating myself so that I'm aware of what domestic violence is mm-hmm. um, and what are the warning signs so that I can prevent this from happening ever again to me or someone else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, And then being patient with myself. And then I think also what has been really important for me has been able to really establish boundaries. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people forget to do this when they first meet people. And I think it's something that is so important in relationships. And what Jason and I have done is really been able to establish what are our interests, what are our values, what are things that we like, what are things that we don't like. And then in turn, what that results into is trust and respect. Um, and you guys have candid conversations candid about the things. Candid conversations. And I think one of the biggest things for me is... I have to be able to express myself in a relationship.
3: Mm-hmm. I
2: think for anyone in, in in any healthy relationship, it's key to be able to express yourself mm-hmm. and feel comfortable and feel, and feel comfortable, free exactly. to be and not entirely feel intimidated yourself. by yes. it, right? Um, but also be respectful, of course, yeah. right? Um, and so, you know, and I I think the the biggest thing um, for healing for me was. Um, counseling i actually still do counseling now i, I have therapy once therapy. a month
1: finding a good therapist um, is so important oh man. i would scream this from the rooftops oh <laughs> if i could honestly but it's so
2: difficult to find it, it really is i had to shop around and i think for me and my situation it was difficult because i associated the abuse with the with the therapy that initial going with to that therapy. initial yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so for me it was very difficult to just you know, like, all right, I'm going to start going to therapy and I'm going to be consistent about it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, therapy has been really helpful for me um, during this healing process and learning more about myself. Absolutely. Wow. So we are out of time, unfortunately.
1: Um, mm-hmm. I feel like we could talk about this I for like another two hours. We'll definitely have to have you come back. Yeah. Before Thank we you. go, there's one last question. <laughs> yeah. We like to
0: ask if you were um, just like, getting ready for a light to life
2: workshop, what sort of music would be playing? What's the theme song to your life? (laughs) Okay. Um, Damn, I can't even remember the name of the song. Okay. So I can't remember the exact, and I wish I can get my phone so I could pull it up, and I'm going to have to show you guys the exact song of what I'm talking about, but I'll say a top two. (laughs) Okay. A top two. Um, One of the things that get... That I would be listening to to kind of get me ready is Whitney Houston. Mm. I didn't know my own strength, mm. um, and which is the song that influenced "Light to Life's Name." Oh, so, wow. yeah. in the song, um, there's a lyric where she says, "I didn't know my own strength." And I found my light to life, my way out of the darkness. And that's mm-hmm. where you got the name from? That's where I got light to life it's from. That's beautiful. That's yeah.
1: amazing. So
2: mm-hmm. that would be that would be a theme song. But I, there's another song, and I just can't remember it right now. But I'll show you guys off air. All right. <laughs> Tell us later. All right.
1: all right. Well, thank you so much, Tanaj, for being on the show thank today. Um, we learned so much from you. And I mean, at the foundation, you know, abuse just is not physical. Abuse mm-hmm. can be mental. You know, control. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you or somebody you know is going through an abusive situation or you suspect that your relationship may be toxic, like Tanaj says, cut them off completely. Mm-hmm. Find your support mm-hmm. network. Mm-hmm. Give yourself self love and self forgiveness mm-hmm. and find a good therapist. Yeah, yeah,
2: for sure. For yeah. sure. And definitely um, the domestic violence hotline number. Mm. Um, Do you know uh, that by heart? Um, I believe it's 1-800-HOTLINE um, for domestic violence. And you can also Google, um, like, National Domestic Violence Hotline. If, mm-hmm. I think the number might pop up. But that's a national organization um, that yes. also has other resources that are really helpful for people who may be seeking services.
1: 1-800-799-7233. There we
2: go. Yes. There we go. Yeah, on point.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for <laughs> tuning in to Black and Lit. Thank, thank you, you, to you. Naj for being with thank us you. today. Um, You can follow us on Instagram at B-L-C-K, the letter N, L-I-T. Look us up online, B-L-C-K-N-L-I-T.org. So thankful for full, Full Service Radio, always. Find them online at all platforms at Full Service Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you next week. Peace.